Good day, good afternoon, good evening, and good night, I guess, at the end of this podcast. Welcome back to Tales from a Cult Insider. This uh, documentary-style sort of storytelling about me growing up in a cult. As you know, if you've been with me this whole time, or even part of this time, if you've heard the intro even once, I grew up in a cult. I grew up in a commune, I lived with a bunch of other kids and a bunch of adults, often in the same house, or in some cases in a couple of houses in like a city, say Dallas or Denver or Pennsylvania or New York or so on. Uh, I Let me give you the quick rundown in case you're brand new. So this cult was called the Foundation Faith of God, uh, but it actually started out as Scientology and it splintered off of Scientology back in the 60s when Robert DeGrimston and Marianne McLean, uh, I guess were suppressive persons is what, is what they called them over at Scientology, uh, which is a compliment as far as I'm concerned when it comes to Scientology. Um, and uh, they formed something called the Process, and then the Process Church of the Final Judgment, and then uh, the Process Church of the Final Judgment schismed uh, probably the month I was born and turned into the Foundation Faith of the New Millennium, and the other part stayed on as the Process Church of the New Mille- uh, Process Church of the Second Coming, and that still exists. Um, uh, you're welcome to Google it, and I don't recommend joining it. Uh, it's weird, but you know what? Weird is weird. Weird is fine. You do you. We must all be ourselves, but uh, I don't recommend cults at all. Not at all. Not at all. All right. So here we are. It's uh, episode, wow, goodness gracious. We're coming close to the end, my friends. It is episode 34. It is called The Children's Ministry. Um, I'm going to tell some stories about Dallas, specific to Dallas, and also a little bit about New York, um, just so you get a view of uh, who, kind of, what, what life was a little bit more like, also a few specific tales about me and some of the things that we did with our time. Uh, and by say, when I say we did, it was what we were made to do uh, in some of those, in, in many cases. And so I'm also going to be revealing, as the description of the podcast episode says, something I've never told anybody ever, uh, except for outside of my family. My family, I believe, knows this. Um, and they, if they don't know this, then they certainly won't know after this episode because they don't listen to this episode because they have to live with me. Uh, the cult comes up rarely, by the way, in case you were curious. The cult comes up rarely at home. Uh, most of them know that I grew up in a cult. I do have one kid who's turning nine uh, in a couple of days, and he, uh, he he probably doesn't fully understand what that means. Uh, and the 11-year-old is probably still not entirely certain of what all that means. But the other kids, they're getting a better idea, but they also don't really grasp what this means. You know, when it comes to, say, not having a family because they have had it's so foreign to their experience and so it's neat to see the utter uh opposite juxtaposition of their life with mine uh i call it a victory i raise my arms in triumphal glee and sing a song of myself with a great mighty yop thank you walt whitman so um uh very quick some important business now you may have noticed that some of these episodes have uh, one or two ad segments. Uh, that is because I would like to try to make a teeny bit of money off of this. Just so you know, it looks like I make about a penny for every listen. Um, I'm I'm within shooting distance of 10,000 listens. 
So that's pretty close to a dollar. I it's not or a hundred dollars. Now a hundred dollars, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. This is episode 33, as we said. Uh, each is about a half an hour, so we're talking about at least 16 hours. That's not a great hourly rate, but you know what? Who cares? I'm not doing this for the money, but I thought it might be nice to make a couple of bucks. However, in addition to uh, the ads that make me money, recently, because the podcast is um, sort of taking off in a way that I love and I wouldn't mind it doing even more and quicker and bigger, you know what to do, my friends. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Tell your enemies. Tell your cat. Tell your dog. Tell your hamster that gets out sometimes and runs across the street to your neighbors. Anyway, um, so I was talking about uh, the podcast. and Anyway, so there's, yeah, there's another ad segment that I put on a few of these that's actually um, pro bono, of course. Not of course, but it's pro bono. I'm not making any money on it. Nobody's making money on it. It's simply for awareness of buzz driving. Don't do it. Uh, for awareness of in- inclusion and diversity. Do it. And for um, helping sheltered pets. Take care of them. Go to shelters, not pet stores. Why would anybody go to a pet store? Um, I can think of one use case for a pet store and that's it, but we'll stop there. Uh, so there's that. Um, just as a quick other piece of business, uh, you're welcome to support this podcast by clicking the link in the, in the description. If it's there, most uh, podcast platforms have it, or just go to my podcast, uh, platform on anchor and you'll see it there. Also, I do speak to groups uh, about inspiring things and overcoming the difficulties of life, turning our past into an armory full of weapons for conquering the difficulties of life, as opposed to it being our baggage or a millstone dragging us down and making our lives harder. I'm happy to answer questions. I tell these stories because I want to just be heard and also just tell the stories. It's fun. Uh, and also for a while, I had some anger to get out of me and I think I'm pretty much done with that. Um, and you're welcome to reach out to me at jared at jaredgarrett.com and so on. Let's move right into this thing, six minutes into this, uh, this episode. So here we go. Hopefully you're still with me. I love you guys, by the way. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you for rating and reviewing. Uh, Thank you, those of you who are plugging it to the tune of over a thousand listens in a 24-hour period uh, from Friday to Saturday. That was cool. Uh, Okay. Children's ministry. What I mean by this is actually this is the term that was used for um, the Dallas branch. So, but I'm going to have to rewind so so that there's a bit more context. Now, as you know, as I've said, up to about 30, 31 or two kids were born uh, as a consequence of parents or as a consequence of young, youngish, hippie, adult age type people joining this commune cult and, you know, getting together, uh, getting together often with the endorsement or encouragement even sometimes of the leaders of the, the process later, the foundation. Uh, Robert de Grimston and Marianne. And I think Marianne may have had more to say about who would be together and who wouldn't be together. So that's an interesting thought. I don't know why that was the case. But hey, you know what? It's a cult. It does what it wants. Um, 30 to 32 or so kids. Now, a couple of those kids were removed by their parents when their parents left um, for any number of reasons. Uh, these these folks left uh, maybe because they stopped finding what they thought they were going to find or they, they never really found what they thought they were going to find in the process. Maybe they found that uh, the the group dynamics weren't good. Maybe they got angered by some of the other folks in the group. Maybe the original founders were too abrasive to them or they just got offended. People leave religious organizations 
all the time. And people join them all the time, right? For their personal reasons. Um, but when there were a large number of us kids, I was when I was about three, uh, we lived in New York City. And we lived in a building. And um, that building was called the Children's Center. Now, I don't know if it was actually the building or I don't know if it was the floor, but I remember it being referred to as the Children's Center where we were. Uh, so they had a formal name for it. Uh, and we were the commune's kids being raised by the commune, not by our parents. Um, and so the, wherever the group of the, the, the kind of biggest concentration of the kids were, it was kind of called the children's center. So that's kind of important, okay? Uh, so that you can see the juxtaposition, the, uh, the kind of contradictory, almost hypocritical thing. Really, it was a hypocritical thing that came later. Now, I've already been over the... The genesis of the cult, the evolution of it, and the genesis of the Dallas branch and what happened there and how and, and how it evolved into what it became. Uh, just a very quick recap. Um, as the cult finally got its feet under it, uh, when I was probably around six or five or so, um, it, it, it wound up branching out a little bit because over for, from the time I was probably around age two to about age six or seven, they were sending adults, groups of adults, and sometimes some kids, if I recall. Uh, maybe it was the kids of the adults who were on these trips for some reason. Maybe it was because they were the founders. They got to have their kids with them if they wanted. Um, they would go on these angel tours. And the angel tours would be fit as many people in this car as, as could fit, like a Ford uh, sedan or something or a Chevy sedan of some kind back in the 70s, you know, or very early 80s, uh, and then they would drive across country and try to find some place that they should go next, is what I believe was what was happening there. Um, I don't know if they had a budget. I presume they had a budget, either that or they had to like beg for money or what they called fund on the way, something, whatever. So that's what happened when I was, that, that, that had been happening for several years. And I think that those angel tours are what resulted in uh, the branch moving from New Orleans uh, to New York and Chicago and so on. And then from the East Coast where Atlanta and Pennsylvania and New York and Virginia, farther inland, you could say, to the West, where the, we ended up with what by the time I was around eight or nine uh, branches in Denver, a really well-established one there, a branch in Vegas, a branch in San Antonio, and a branch in Dallas, I believe. And then they'll headquarters in that ranch in Arizona that I've talked about, which will come up later in another episode. Very important stuff. Uh, then the uh, ranch in Arizona, kind of they outgrew it because they were doing a lot of animal rescue over the years and they just wouldn't kill the animals. And then they bought the ranch in southern Utah and <clears throat> named it um, Angel Canyon. And then the organization was called Best Friends Animal Sanctuary. And the Dallas branch was just called the Dallas branch. So it was just called the Dallas branch, this the Vegas, the Las Vegas branch, uh, and the Denver branch. And I believe those wound up being the three final branches outside of the headquarters. Um I spent uh, a year or so in Dallas after coming west from, you know, Pennsylvania and, and other parts over there and um, didn't like it very much. I, I found myself not 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 liking being around Lucia, Lucia, the megalomaniac uh, leader. She got crazier, uh, was just not very pleasant. She was moody. It was hard to know, you know, what you were in for if you crossed paths with her. Um, she had a cat named Waffen. Let me say that again. She had a black cat named Waffen. So that's terrifying. Um, look up Waffen, W-A-F-F-E-N, my friends, if you don't know what that is. So um, I lived in Dallas and then I went to Denver 
uh, to presumably live with my dad, but then, or to be in the same place as my dad, but then he left Denver almost immediately after, and I wound up staying in Denver for nearly two years. At the end of my time in Denver, and I talked about, you know, what happened, the circumstances of being in fifth grade, in the same school I'd been in the fourth grade, it was beautiful, da 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 da, da. Dallas became the place where kids were, gonna be, were being concentrated. They were being moved there. And I don't know why they chose Dallas, but my guess is, and it's probably a, a fairly accurate guess, they you had a really good staff of funders. They were being very, very effective out there getting money from the public in airports back in the day when anybody could be in an airport and any part of the airport, really, um, up to the gate, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, you know, downtown in front of, um, you know, busy areas where people would walk through uh, also shopping malls and busy areas like that and strip malls and stuff. Um, so they were financially good, right? And um, that's good. But it also became where the kids wound up, probably because they could afford multiple buildings. Uh, I moved into Dallas, and as soon as, you know, kids started being concentrated there, it was called the Children's Center. That's where the children were, Dallas. And we were split between houses in Swiss and Dixie, and then we moved north uh, to North Dallas and to, to a place called Richardson, and there was a house on Chattington and a house on El Santo and a house on La Cabeza. Uh, and so... During all this time that we were in those houses, there was also a house later or farther down the road in Swiss, which was the headquarters uh, sort of for the for, for that branch. Now, it wasn't really the headquarters. It was like I guess you could call the, the center of operations for that branch. There was also the house on Bowser, which is where we went to school. Um, so we called it Bowser, of course. Uh, I forget what we called the house where we did you, you know the operations, which is where the Sunday service was, uh, where they did all their other things. But Dallas wasn't so focused on animal rescue. No, animals were rescued with some regularity, but it wasn't the primary directive there for Dallas. Um, but, I, you know, I, I think that we were, there, were, there was a dog or a cat or a puppy or a kitty rescued probably every week to two weeks there, um, usually raised and brought to, the, to health, uh, and then they would try to get it adopted out. Um, I mean, we raised, we raised several puppies at Dixie and um, several kittens at Dixie to cats and we, you know, saw several animals die of illness and of old age. Um, it's, it's a bit of a cruelty to not put an animal down when it should be put down, in my opinion. Um, because we've taken them out of the natural thing, you know, we've tamed these dogs and these cats to the point where the natural order of nature doesn't kill them when they're too feeble to actually live. Uh, and so they depend on us to remove the pain from their lives. And so it is our responsibility, our moral responsibility, to not subject these poor animals to that much pain. And as much as we love them, it's hard, and I understand that. Um, but honestly, it's not fair to them. Uh, so moving on. Um, we did, we did you know, rescue and stuff like that. But there was very, very little of that relative to what happened in all the other branches. They were focused entirely on that. Dallas was called the Children's Center, but it also had, as a religion or as its charitable organization, it was called the Children's Ministry. That's right. So the whole foundation was a charitable organization, and it was a 501c or something like that. It was tax-exempt, for at least in, in some aspects of its businesses. Dallas, the branch, was like its own independent charity of some kind, and it was called the Children's Ministry. Now, my friends, you might th be saying, oh, of course it's called the children's ministry. That's where the kids lived. My friends, that is not why it was called the children's ministry. I'm going to pause to do a quick plug. 
and then we'll come right back and I'll explain why it was called the children's ministry. Don't mean to leave you hanging. Okay, heavens to Betsy, I think I've been calling this episode 33. It's episode 34. That's crazy time. So 34, and I was talking about the children's ministry. Dallas was not called the children's ministry because that's where the kids were. It was called the children's center because of that. It was called the children's ministry because its primary uh, ministering or charitable act was visiting children in the hospitals. That's right. It would visit children in the hospitals. So these adults would go out and they'd fund you know, to, to raise money. And they'd say, would you help us support and love on and help the the children in the hospital? And it was, a, in many cases, their specific kind of area of ministry was uh, premature kids. And so th- there was a lot of support and love for the premature kids there in the hospitals there, uh, the, in the children's hospital, specifically in downtown Dallas. Um, the, these adults would go get gussied up in different outfits and especially clown outfits, take balloons, sing to them, perform for them, do lots of fun things. Uh, Nicole, the mother of Ananda and Alicia, my dear, dear, dear friends, uh, she was an extraordinary clown. She's such a sweet, sweet human being. And she would go in and she would brighten people's lives. Uh, these these kids would, I'm sure, be delighted by her because she, she is a truly, divinely great human being. And her cousin or sister, Adrian, was also such a good clown, such a good woman going out and helping these kids feel good, you know. Uh, these kids in difficult circumstances. So they were preemies, but they weren't... Um, babies anymore. They were still, they were just hospitalized a lot because of um, health issues, you know, associated with being premature. But they'd also go to, you know, cancer wards and they'd go to other areas of the hospital where kids were suffering and trying, and they'd try to bring some brightness to their life. And that's really good. Now, what I'm going to say here um, is it could sound pretty grumpy, but I want you to understand the situation here. We, We were 20 or so kids living in this place where Lucia, who would also dress up as a clown and go out and really be quite pleasant to these kids, where Lucia would emotionally and verbally abuse us, where Jason would sometimes physically abuse us and maybe a couple of others would do the same, where Cyrus abused me, but he was in the Denver branch, of course, uh, physically, where Dylan, you know, would he beat kids up too. You know, we, and then we were also, if, if we weren't being emotionally abused or verbally abused or physically abused, and I hope not sexually abused, I don't know of any specific ones, but oh, oh, my imagination runs and I need it to stop. Um, I, we were, if we weren't being abused in any way, we were being ignored for the most part. I've talked about a few of the fun things that we could do, but it, generally it was either the verbal abuse and so on or neglection, ne- neglected, right? So here we are being abused or neglected, uh, being forced into so many different things in our lives that we had no interest in doing, not being raised by our parents, being altogether not the happiest group of people you could ever meet. And the group that was doing that to us, subjecting us to that, was out in hospitals brightening the lives of other kids. I mean, that should seem like a weird, hypocritical, contradictory thing. Now, it's ungenerous. I recognize that. It's not at all charitable of me to say, well, that sucked. Why couldn't they give us some of that attention? But it's honestly the fact of the matter. It's how I perceived it. I felt completely just 
aggressively and deliberately overlooked, aggressively and deliberately dismissed and set aside. Uh, and like I felt there was clearly something wrong with me um, that they would hate us to that degree that they would not give us the attention we needed, the loving, kind, bright attention that we needed, but all these other kids in the hospitals would. And so that's probably why I grew up, you know, thinking, you know, if I could get sick a little more often, I might get some attention. Um, and there's still a little bit of that in me, honestly. Uh, and so I do my very best to not even tell anybody when I'm sick. Uh, I fail a lot. <laughs> yes, I do. But uh, it's there. And that was, I think, you know, I would just want you to understand that that was how I felt there. Uh, and I know a couple of the other kids felt that this was such a weird, weird contradiction. But it's not done. I'm not done with what, how contradictory this was. My friends, we were there. We lived there, right? There were times that there in the uh, center of operations, that I think which is farther down Swiss Avenue. It was either down Swiss or Haskell, pretty sure Swiss. Um where we would be put to work to help prepare for the visits in the hospitals. I learned to tie, to tie a balloon by the time I was 12 and a half after sticking it on. I'll, do, I'll go from the start. We, we would, they would set three or four kids around a helium tank, right? With I don't know if you've ever done this, but helium tanks, they kind of have this rubber nipple at the top. And you put the balloon on it and you bend it to the side a lot like you do like a whipped cream container. But this is sticking straight up. And helium then goes into the balloon and you got to hold it tight on there until the, the balloon is full. Then you pull the balloon off, holding it, squeezing it tight and stretch out the little what's left. And then you tie it, right? And I got really good at that. I got good at tying the knot and putting a, one of those streamer, uh, not a streamer, a, a ribbon on it as a string. And then I also got good at running, you know, the, the not too sharp flat of, a, of some scissors across that, uh, that ribbon to curl it, right? You know, you can do that to curl those ribbons. And we, we did 20, 30, 40, up to 50 or 60 balloons in, in a go um, and with this helium. And every so often we'd sneak a helium and go, ha ha, be really goofy, right? When we weren't being uh, monitored too closely. When we were being monitored, we could not do that. Um, so yeah, they, they'd conscript us to blow up balloons and then to prepare things and then to do some work to, you know, to clean things up and stuff. And then before long, by the time I was about 14 or 15, we were drafted into the Clown Corps. Now, that's not really what they were called. I just call it the Clown Corps because it makes sense. We were given clown costumes. We were put, they put clown makeup on us. They put a clown balloon, a nose on us and we would go and we'd sing and we would dance and do these routines at the hospitals, we kids, and we'd have to put a happy face. You know the Joker mover put on a happy face? That was us, except for a little less, you know, malicious, um, homicidal, man maniacal stuff, right? I didn't see that movie. I'm not going to see that movie. So I may have just totally misrepresented that movie, and I'm sorry. But, yeah, we were told to do that. We were drafted into this this clown, clown corps. Uh, really... Really ridiculous, you know, miserable, in my case, a lot of the time kid or kid who had no interest in getting outside of his books and stuff, going out to brighten the lives of kids. And here's the crazy thing. Some of us were really good at it and we had a really good time. Now, here is grace, my friends. Here is grace. When those adults aren't yelling at us, making us do a bunch of work or overlooking us. 
and every so often speaking kindly. Very, very rarely. Certainly never for me, being a person I could lean on uh, unconditionally in love and need. Um, those adults get us to go in, and we go in, and we do put on a good performance. And we are cheerful, and we sing lots of songs. And sometimes we wouldn't put on the makeup. Sometimes we would go as a group of kids, and the guy, John, who was kind of teaching us music sort of stuff, choir stuff, and maybe a little bit of instrumentality, but only most mostly choir stuff, he would lead us in singing, you know, cheery, chipper Christmas songs. We would carol at the hospital. We did that several years. We would go in and we'd sing kind of oldies to the to the kids and to their parents. I have vivid memories of standing on one side of a big cafeteria area at this Dallas hospital and this huge group of kids and their parents and their little sisters and brothers and their older sisters and brothers, a lot of faces, you know, a lot of illness, a lot of wheelchairs, a lot of IV units, you know, being, being hauled around. Them all watching us and smiling and clapping after we sing Christmas carols and all these other things, you know, and me really... You know, in the moment when it's time to do and perform, I did fine and I kind of enjoyed it uh, to, to the point of uh, I, I kind of got really good at it. Now, here we go. Here is the thing that I've never really shared with anybody. I think I might have mentioned it to my wife um, and maybe to a couple of my kids. Okay. So um, as part of being clowns, we ended up kind of adopting our own uh, outfit. It was the, the outfit that, that fit us best. As I grew a little taller, I had to get a new outfit, uh, a wig, a balloon, or a, a, a red nose for our face. And then we actually learned to do our own makeup. I was doing my own make clown makeup by the end of it, except for I could never get the lips right. So I had to get help from Adrian uh, usually for that. And the makeup was her terrible. It was this cakey makeup that just stuck and stunk and clogged everything. And it, it was gross. But I got pretty good at being a clown. And it may be because it was freeing to not be recognized. It was freeing to have an expectation of being a certain goofball way in this clown outfit. Um, as one of the events that we went to was, uh, was a parade. And some of us kids actually stood or sat on the back of a, of a, what was it? Probably some sort of convertible and, um, represented, you know, the children's ministry run by the foundation, faith of God, etc. You know, looking like a happy church group. We were not. <laughs> not in our case. Not in my case. Uh, but we sat on the back of a car in a Dallas, a big old parade in Dallas. It was really something else. But the highlight event was that my clown name was Bobo. I chose that name. I chose the name Bobo because I thought Bozo the Clown, but I'll be me, Bobo the Clown. So I became Bobo the Clown when I put on my out clown, clown suit, actual clown outfit, and I performed. I was funny. I could do these fun, you know, they're these goofy little magic trick tricks that are like a buck or two bucks or something at a magic shop. You know, that little, you could hold, you can hold a little cylinder in your hand. looks like you're holding nothing and, and you, and you pull at it and you start pulling out these multicolored ribbons and it goes on for 20 feet or so of these multicolored ribbons coming out of what looks to mo the, the audience like an empty hand, um, singing songs, playing jokes, um, pulling out, having a trick, uh, Daisy on my, on my lapel where I could squirt people with water. For some reason, we wound up on, on a, on a university campus a couple of times. And this one time that we did, we were surrounded by, um, young college kids and guys, I did this when I was 16. So I wasn't much younger than them. 
I was tall. I was about many their size. I, I looked at the pretty college girls and I was like, yeah, you're good looking. And guys, I hit, I hit a groove. Uh, I went around and entertained the crap out of those college kids. I was all over the place, making them laugh, making them just having a great time. And the girls were looking at me like, whoa, who is this guy? Um, with some admiration. And I just said, I'm just Bobo the Clown. Here I go. And I was, I was in the groove. Um, Bobo the Clown, Clown was, was a success at that time. It was Bobo the Clown's biggest, biggest success, biggest triumph, big heyday. And I was good at it. Uh, all kinds of pratfalls and jumping around and falling around. I, I would tri purposely trip over their feet, uh, squirt them with my daisy and do these stupid little magic tricks and make funny jokes and funny jokes about their names uh, and stuff like that. So I have revealed an old alternate personality of mine, an old character of mine, Bobo the Clown. Do with this knowledge what you may. Uh, it's out there. You cannot blackmail me. Nobody can blackmail me about this one. Uh, there are probably some other deep, dark secrets somebody could blackmail me about, but uh, hopefully I've exorcised all of that. Um, but all this to say, this was the children's ministry, and nobody once ever copped to the weird, contradictory, kind of height, you know, hypocritical, uh, <laughs> weird juxtaposition of the whole thing. You have kids that you're abusing, you're ignoring, uh, you're giving a rather miserable life to, but here you are, you know, tax exempt. Uh, and going around doing a children's ministry in the hospital. Thank you for making those kids' lives better. Could you perhaps have made our lives better? You may be wondering, how do you know, Jared, that you were tax-exempt? Because I did the shopping for my the house I lived in. Um, I did it. I, I was a part of it. Uh, I was a big helper for it when we lived in Dixie for the last year. And then I did all the menu planning and all the shopping for our house in Richardson um, on El Santo for boy, uh, probably a year and a bit. Uh, that was me. I did it all. And when I paid for stuff, I would say, we are a tax-exempt organization. Um, and I would show them some number or something and they'd find it in their table and they would give me tax-exempt. So I wouldn't have, I didn't pay taxes when I did the, the, the grocery shopping for us. There you go. Um, and that is my story of the children's ministry. Um, the weird, weird thing that made me feel fairly aggressively dismissed by the organization unless they needed me to be involved, which was bizarre, but still victorious as Bobo the Clown, uh, still uh, parts of protests as well. Sometimes we were dragged out to protests there. Um, that we, we protested the, uh, like Israel doing something to the Intifada over there. The, Lucia was firmly on Palestine's side. Uh, we protested some wars and stuff, um, and uh, I, I remember one protest, we were on um, at least local TV, local news, you know, I think we weren't interviewed, but we saw ourselves on the news later that day, they panned across our faces. Uh, there was this one time we were out in the, on a public square with a bunch of hippie people, young and old, protesting something, and I just kind of sat around, and there was this hippie boy with the very fuzzy beard, as you would expect, and he was singing something along. He was strumming his guitar. And for some reason, I remember. And he says, he was singing, The trees and the sunshine helps clear the waters of my mind. And I feel fine. And that's weird that I remember that, but I really do. 
Um, and uh, the last thing from the children's ministry, children's ministry, just a quick memory, was for some reason we were downtown in the city square area when Tom Landry, the longtime coach of the Dallas Cowboys, uh, was having an event, a goodbye event, because he'd just been fired um, from his coaching job at the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, I was a bit of a Cowboys fan while living there, but I, I've been a Steelers fan my whole life, so I didn't care a whole lot, but I, I heard a lot of people upset that they felt like he was being treated shamefully. Uh, that's the end of this episode, children's ministry. There you go. We will have uh, a chapter uh, from the memoir next month, or ne- next uh, episode. Um, and, uh, I'm glad you stay tuned till the very end because I'm going to involve you in my process. I'm going to start querying agents to try to get my memoir sold. I'm going to start actually tomorrow, uh, in earnest. I'm going to, I'm going to finish my, uh, another revision on it very quickly. I've, I, it's already in really good shape. Uh, I just want to make sure that the opening chapter is extra good. And then I'm going to start querying. So I'm going to have you join me on my journey of trying to find an agent who can help me sell this memoir. Um, And I'll keep you apprised. Until next time, which will be episode 35 and a chapter of my memoir, please keep listening, share with your friends, do lots of reading, uh, buy my books if you want to. It's coming to Christmas time. You can buy my books. Just email me at jared at jaredgarrett.com if you want signed ones that I'll send to you. I will eat the shipping cost. I'll just send you the book signed and you can give it to your friends all wrapped up. Books wrap easy. Um, And you can also just get them on Amazon or order them through Barnes & Noble and stuff like that too. They're not on the shelves because it costs too much to shelve books. Thank you for listening, my faithful listeners. Thank you for telling your friends. Thank you for reviewing and thank you for being who you are that makes the world a better place. Until next time, continue to be great.